Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to the Team Success Podcast. I have with me today someone that I have an enormous amount of respect and affection for, and it's our client, our friend, Ross Thornley. So Ross, thank you very much for being with me today. It's a pleasure, and the feeling is completely mutual, Shannon. Thank you. One of the reasons why I was really excited, Ross, to have you on the Team Success podcast is because you are going into an area that I think is incredibly relevant for teams, for entrepreneurs, for anyone who is actually just trying to deal with the crazy, rapidly changing world that we have, because you are passionate about adaptability, but you're not just interested in like it, you actually have created some tools around it. We're going to talk about someone's AQ. So everyone's heard of IQ, your intelligence quotient. This is your adaptability quotient. And if I say those words and you go, "Uh oh, <laughs> then this conversation will be incredibly relevant. <laughs> Because I I was like, oh, I think I'm pretty good, but how am I really? So I've done the profile. I've done the score, I should say. There is, by the way, a big difference between profiles and scores. So we'll make that distinction as we go through. Fortunately, this is something you can change, unlike some other profile results. So, and there's that awesome tool called Adapt AI that we're going to talk about as well. So Ross, before we jump into that, though, you have a long and storied history in terms of marketing and insights into psychology and people and helping your clients in your previous life adapt and get you know, who they are out into the world effectively. So give a little bit of your background, how long you've been a coach, all that great stuff. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And I like how you phrased that in the previous version of me, you know, so I, <laughs> I myself have lived multiple identities and had to figure out who I am along the way, as many of us do, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, my background was branding and marketing agency. I set up in 2000. And like many entrepreneurs, I think, you know, this desire and belief that we can do better than perhaps the environment we've experienced in a previous role or things like that. And for me, you know, what was interesting over those 17 years is I was living experiences through so many different clients and what they were going through and the beauty of the world, if we can even remember it in 2000, what technology was like how we did things, how communication was. And, you know, we were running projects for Sony about shifting their marketing from print-based to digital first. You know, concepts would be approved by a print ad, yet never exist in reality in print. And then you'd have to digitize them all. So why not think digitally first? So it was really interesting. So mm -hmm. I actually sold that agency back in 2017. And a huge part of that transition and shift was my journey with coach. So I joined coach about six years ago, when to be honest, I was quite exhausted of running a business. You know, I employed perhaps about 100 people over that period. And it is exhausting. My level of adaptability, you know, peaked and troughed throughout <laughs> that period. And so yeah, my journey started in London in the signature program to help me build a leadership team, improve myself, the unique abilities of the team. I wouldn't have been able to sell the business. That wasn't my initial desire, but it ended up as a happy serendipity of that. Then I went to 10X, couldn't wait to level up. Once you see certain things, you can't unsee them. And then I've been privileged to be part of the Free Zone Frontier member as well. So that's been great with my background and journey. I'd like to tell people, formerly known as the Game Changer. <laughs> if, if you're not <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Do you know, I was thinking, should I say uh, Game Changers or should I say Free Zone Frontier? So it's Free Zone Frontier. As of formally. yesterday, the date had changed. <laughs> so yeah. formerly known as. So let's talk about adaptability, because that really is kind of what you're working on right now. You've got some amazing AI-based technology, and I know that you're a huge fan of Abundance 360 and partake in that regularly. So Exponential Technologies is how you're creating the next version of yourself. Yep. So talk about adaptability. What is it? Why is it so important? You know, what makes you so excited about it? Yeah, I think... What's interesting is two parts. I became interested in it from kind of two aspects. You mentioned about A360 and my strengths finder, number one is futuristic. Right? So I'm a futurist, you know, I'm, I'm deeply motivated also by helping humanity level up. Mm. So if we have this context of all of these, you know, technologies driving and pushing us forward and bringing the future closer to us. And the reality of humanity not adapting at the same pace, we've then got some friction mm. and we've got a gap and we've got a risk of leaving people behind. And where my context, perhaps in the latter 10 years of my agency was more in innovation, innovation I saw as kind of two parts. One was where maybe the you know, linear world was focused on productivity and efficiency. So we took data, we took these things, and we were driving innovations in that way. So the changes we required were more tweaks, mm. and it was more incremental. And then if we're shifting from that kind of knowledge economy where information is really helpful and what we did yesterday to help predict tomorrow, we can improve. If we're now shifting to this sort of imagination economy because mm. – we're going from where we could predict things because things were generally not moving that quickly. Now they are. We've got to imagine new stuff. So adaptability has always been important to continue anything, continue a species, a person, a company, whatever it may be. But I think why now and what I think adaptability and why we should be measuring it is because of the speed of change around us. Mm. So that convergence is meaning things are happening. So I started to observe failure of adaptability. Mm. And that can be one motivation, right? <laughs> you know, an opportunity or a failure in mm -hmm. things. And I saw it in two aspects. One for people that fail to adapt. It often was manifesting in either friction, you know, I'm not adapting to that, you know, compliance or opportunities. So it means that they might become isolated or perhaps, you know, there's more friction, anxiety, stress, and we're now seeing a sort of epidemic of ill health physically and mentally and, you know, losing job or saying no to that job anymore and going on new adventures and breakdowns of relationships. So all of those things, if we're not failing to adapt to our environment, mm -hmm. can be a, a big risk for people. Mm -hmm. And then you know, if you do still tune into some of the news channels that aren't the abundance ones, <laughs> and you still see these other ones, you see every other story in business is either this failing to adapt where, you know, this company's gone bankrupt, this is uh, sacking staff, AI and the robots are coming and taking over this, or it's this unicorn that's been created mm -hmm. in just a short period of time. So we had this massive counterbalance going on. So I think the adaptability, like I say, has always been there, but perhaps the feedback loop, it was longer mm. before. So, you know, that realization now of this gradual, then suddenly 
is really kicking in. Right. So that's where adaptability becomes, I think, more and more important. And I see it less of this kind of AIs taking over and the robots, because I'm talking about work context now and our roles. And I see it more as job change than job loss and creation. Mm -hmm. And that's going to affect everybody. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I actually think it's really important to talk about the cost of not actually paying attention to adaptability mm -hmm. is a potential failure to do that. And the costs, even though it's kind of like one person at a time, or sometimes an entire company, occasionally an entire industry, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, creative destruction is a term that Dan talks about and has been well written about. But it's true. It's like, you know, sometimes new things get created, but then other things get destroyed if they cannot adapt, if they're not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kodak and inventing the digital camera is a really good example. So it's, I think the topic is interesting. And, and again, a little bit in the spirit of, you know, there's always our best case scenario, and we tend to be pretty optimistic in the people that we hang out with. But there is a real cost if we don't take action, if we don't pay attention to our own. I mean, human beings are successful because we can adapt. 100%. So I think you're talking about a very innate human trait, but I think we can get a little bit seduced or comfortable, or if the pace of change is not as rapid, we don't feel that need to adapt. Yeah. But what you're highlighting is an essential human capability that we can focus on and expand and make better. It is there. And I think another interesting area is the fact that I believe the operating system for change is needing an upgrade. So the operating system we had for change in the past, all these various techniques and processes, you know, Lean, Six Sigma, all of these things that was about managing risk. And we then fostered this belief, you know, both in the result it gave us and how acceptable it became because everybody around us was doing it resulted in the success we've got. So you operate in this way, we've got here and I'm happy here. That's all good. So why do I need to change? You know, there's no real burning platform. And what happened for many of them, you know, if we take retail as an example, you know, to see is it's hard to think if we just rewound 12 years ago, they've got an 18 billion market cap. You know, they've got a great run and much like many retailers at that time, American ones, you know, JCPenney, Macy's, you know, all of these big ones. Then in a decade that followed, they either lost 90 odd percent of their market cap or they went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. You know, Sears in that period, because I think it was October last year, they filed for bankruptcy, going from that 18 billion to less than half a billion in valuation, was I think a result of that gradual then suddenly. Mm -hmm. So all right. of the things that they've been rewarded by how their processes are, how they've built things in the past, they couldn't unlearn. Mm. And for me, that's a key component of our adaptability is unlearning. So what got us here won't necessarily get us there. Then when you see people who are using imagination and innovation and adapting, so take even a Walmart or an Amazon, you've seen massive uplift in their valuation in that same period. Mm -hmm. So it's not about all retail. It's about how you've seen the seas change in that environment and not gone, well, my platform's okay. We're still all right. We don't need to adapt the way that we're doing things, the way we interact with our clients, customers, or teams. So I think that's a, a good reality. And that's you know, going to be true in so many industries, not just retail, mm -hmm. in these changes of what the new world's going to look like in the next five to 10 years. 
That's exciting. Well, I love that you have taken this and done your deep dive, as you do. Mm-hmm. So I just recently did my AQ score, which was really interesting. And by the way, everyone, you will find out how you can do this as well. There's an opportunity to be a beta tester because it's still in development. But I think this is such a relevant topic. And you were talking about it at the last Game Changer workshop. And I think I ran over to him like, I want to interview you. <laughs> because yeah. this is such a relevant topic, especially since we're talking about new free zones and Peter Thiel's zero to one and creating new stuff. And how do you wrap your mind around that? And what I was really impressed with as I was going through the questionnaire, I guess you call it, is all of the different dimensionality that there is to adaptability. And it was like, oh, I haven't quite thought of it in these terms before. So I want to get into that. And just so everyone's clear on what I'm referring to, it's actually kind of like you would do an online assessment of something. You know, you're getting your AQ score, which, by the way, you can take this again and hopefully change and upgrade your score. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. It's not a static thing, thank goodness, because that would be a little scary if you can't adapt your adaptability. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would not be good. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. And the whole whole thing is called Adapt AI, which is really cool that you're taking artificial intelligence and applying it to this processing. So before I jump into really talking about some of the dimensions, you have a couple of definitions that I just want to read that I think are so – I'm like, I saw it in a particular video I was watching. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to pause it and write this down. Adaptability is the capacity to adjust one's thoughts and behaviors in order to effectively expand to uncertainty, new information, or change circumstances. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a very powerful definition. And here's the why. Adaptability is essential to our individual psychological health, social success, and workplace achievement. And you actually really drill down on the workplace achievement part, which I know that most of our listeners will be like, okay, I want to know more about that. (laughs) If this is going to help us be more successful, they're like, okay, I'm in. But you really do that. How you articulate this to me is very insightful and helps me go, oh, yeah, this is a dimension of myself, of my environment, of my team, of other people I'm with, my company, that helps me really put a great framework around it and think more creatively and productively about it. I think it's important in any aspect of endeavor to frame it correctly. Mm -hmm. I've now for the last two years been having conversations about adaptability and people know the word adaptability. So they'll have some relationship with what that means to them, good or bad, Mm -hmm. and their level of understanding of what it means or not. Now, when we shift that to say adaptability quotient and an AQ, that gets exciting because that's a free zone frontier, right? <laughs> We're just submitting the wiki page. You know, there's no Wikipedia page for, you know, adaptability quotient. There's very, very little work in this. And we started off by going out to the academic world, you know, rather than, oh, I've got this opinion or, you know, I'm a, my Colby's a 6473. Colby. You know, so, you know, I do enjoy my research. So I went off and I read dozens of books about adaptability and papers and white papers. And then I said, okay, I need to engage with some top research people, psychologists, professors, professors in human capital, behavioral psychologists. And, you know, how it all came about, really, I can sum it up in one word of collaboration. Mm. And that in part is because of strategic coach. You know, the point of the Free Zone Frontier group is how do we form effective collaborations? So whilst I might have acquired my own unique abilities and team over the last 20 years of my entrepreneurial journey, 
if we're going into this free zone in a proper way where we're not just doing something to go, ah, it's not been done before, so let's do it. We want a result. The end outcome is we want to prepare people not to be left behind Mm -hmm. so that they can perform in work, so that they can shift from maybe collapse and death through to survival, which is actually, you know, not a very nice place to be. Mm -hmm. But many of us live in that world, just surviving, hanging on, grinning and bearing. Oh, I've got grit. And we see grit as a good thing. And that shows up a lot in survival to then grow. First if upper lip. (laughs) Yeah. In the UK. To then growth and then thriving. So if we can move through that sort of world of adaptability where the whole society and everybody's thriving, we have to quantify and start to understand it. So, yeah, you're right. You know, it does have these different components. As you said, we're in beta. We've got a model that we've put together where we've got about 70% of it is academically researched and backed Mm -hmm. from some really rigorous places so that we can stand on it authentically rather than let's study it for the next 20 years and then build something out. We needed to find what was already there Mm -hmm. and point it in the right direction. And then about 30% of it is much more primary research that we're doing with the research teams. I love that. And I'm someone who is certified in several profiles and tools. Uh If something's not valid and not reliable, I'm not interested. And it is both of those things. So thank you for me. Because when someone just makes up a questionnaire, and then they start sending it out, I'm like, okay, well, where's your research? Does it actually measure what it's supposed to is, you know, is it valid for what it's doing? And it's not it drives me batty. So personally, thank you. I appreciate that. And I won't recommend anything that isn't. So that's the other part of this. And I think just to cover on that piece, within our model, you know, it's called ACE. So it stands for three things of ability, character, and environment. And then inside each one of those is four subcomponents mm-hmm. and subdimensions. So if we took one example of the ability section, those are things like resilience, our flexibility, our learning drive, and our mindset. And there's an awful lot of work and papers that exist on here's resilience. This is Mm -hmm. the scales of it. This is how you assess individuals for resilience. You know, there's papers that's been done in the military. There's stuff that's been done at Berkeley, all of these pieces. And that's true of many of these different parts and aspects. And what we wanted to start and uncover, and, you know, whilst adaptability quotient and measuring that, we might consider as a free zone frontier. Measuring and understanding people is not. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of assessments, right? We all love Colby. You know, we've got strengths finders, we've got engagement multiplier, we've got a whole range of these different things. And is this just more noise? Is this usable data? Is it going to help mm-hmm. somebody do something right. at the end of the day? And we did want to approach it slightly differently. So unlike are you do that assessment as you said and it's fixed. Mm-hmm. If we believe it's more like standing on a set of scales, on weighing scales, and we see the needle, then we go, ah, I want to move that needle. And we then start to learn about nutrition and exercise. And then we get on the scales again a week later and see the interventions and different behaviors you had. What did that result in? We want to build a, an ecosystem and platform to do the same. Mm-hmm. So if resilience you know, can be surmised as our ability to bounce back, You know, we see this a lot in sports, Tiger Woods, Mm -hmm. amazing resilience to be able to bounce back from difficulty. Serena Williams, Mm -hmm. tennis player, amazing resilience to bounce back from difficult times. How can we start to put in the certain interventions around that? It's a really interesting space. That's fascinating. So let's actually dive in because I know when I went through the 
I keep wanting to say profile, by the way. I'm keep correcting myself. You know, I went through the questionnaire yeah. and it was interesting. And I'm, I'm looking at my results as we speak. Mm-hmm. So resilience was kind of probably, I don't know, 70, 80%, something like that. It's kind of fun. I did really well on mindset. I was pretty happy <laughs> about that one. Yeah. So resilience, you've got flexibility. So these are really the ability aspects. Yeah. One of the ways that I really like to learn is a good example of someone being resilient and then not so good. Yeah. So you've already described two phenomenal athletes. So they can bounce back from really tough situations. Someone who's not resilient would be someone who just gets knocked down and stays down. Would that be correct? Yeah, I think it can be in a few different areas. And resilience can either be in the moment. So we'll see somebody, you know, we talk about the difference between responding and reacting. Mm. So if something is not what we expected, we have to adapt to that new bit of knowledge. Somebody's told us something, a bit of feedback, either from our colleague, our line manager, our boss, or the marketplace. Do we initially respond? Oh, that's not true because it's this. Oh, sorry, we react. You know, and often that can be very instinctive. Mm-hmm. Or do we take our time to then consider that and bounce back differently? So a lot of this depends on the context of our environment. So we might show up in our personality in terms of our character traits. But if we actually understand that and layer that with an ability and the environment of the context, So if we took, going back to Serena Williams, for example, at the top of her game and then started to lose, and her coach, her trainer was her father Mm -hmm. for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until she then found a new coach who totally helped her to unlearn. Mm. So certain things that had got her success in the past weren't. So her resilience was slightly different in terms of it was a bounce back to unlearn things and then give herself almost that permission to try something new and experiment. So that blends with our flexibility is knowing not just constantly a pursuit and expansion of new things, but what things that I have done in the past should I still be doing? And that's hard. It is really hard. And I think you talked about unlearning, and I just want to really Mm. stress it because, you know, a lot of times what we've learned gives us a huge sense of confidence. Okay, okay, I know that, Mm -hmm. you know, that becomes like a platform we stand on. And it takes enormous courage, I think, to go, okay, and especially when it's something to do with how you think or how you approach something or your assumptions about the world. I have these debates with my father-in-law because for a long time, and it's just usually around food, eggs were bad. Well, now eggs Mm -hmm. are fabulous for you, you know, in terms of cholesterol and those sorts of things. And then he just finally said, you know, basically forget them all. I'm not paying any more attention to what anyone says because they keep contradicting themselves. He's actually not able to adapt to the new and most current information, which I find funny. And he's older and healthy. So there you go. He's doing okay. But it's interesting, you know, his ability to adapt to new information or unlearn something, Mm -hmm. I would say is not, at least in that particular area, not terribly high. So, but it's kind of fun. By the way, it's also, I would imagine, much easier to see a lack of any of these things in other people than it is (laughs) in ourselves. We're like, we're good. I'm cool. But the truth is we all have things we need to unlearn. It is, and it it depends totally on the context. So we might be more willing and able 
to bounce back on something if we've built that muscle up. Mm -hmm. So if we've constantly been having feedback and we've been improving in our work and those sorts of things, our ability to bounce back from feedback from one source, Mm -hmm. maybe your internal team might be really cool and I'm happy with that. I've built that ability in there. But then maybe if it's a competitor giving that feedback or it's the market giving that feedback, if you're not used to that, that might be all. No, that's not what I need to respond to. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a reason to change. We've been successful in our little world, in our little team with our current set of clients. So these components are so interlocked and it's where we've been really working on our algorithms and the weighting of the combination of these factors to help predict our success in the future mm-hmm. and also give us the ability and confidence to face uncertainty. Mm. And I think that's the real challenge here. Rather than a skill that is, I learned that and it helps me for a certain period of time. So I learn programming and that's my job. Mm-hmm. I might change a number of employers, right. but I keep the same job. Mm-hmm. I'm using most of the same skills. Whereas now we'll be probably facing maybe three to four careers in our lives rather than eight to 10 jobs in the relative context of that. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of adapting from how much of it is wrapped up into our identity. You know, when we have a conversation, oh, so what do you do? Mm -hmm. And that's part of the conversation. And I'm an entrepreneur and I do these things and those bits. Well, what if that had to adapt and change? And for many of us, it will. Mm -hmm. of those things. So I think, you know, this balance between what we control. So you talked about flexibility and a lot of these ability parts, Mm -hmm. our learning drive and our mindset that you were really strong in. What's also important is that information that's not necessarily seen by you in the assessment, but seen by your environment and context controller. So I call that, there might be the CEO, Mm -hmm. it might be the owner of the organization or the team leader or the HR department. And it's maybe their responsibility. What's the fertile ground that will remove some friction for people to adapt so that they can, like you say, unlearn or be more experimental? Or in some cases, resilience can be staying true to something and that blends a little bit more to grit. Mm -hmm. You don't listen to that feedback knowing that this is the right way. and We've got to go through that next piece. I can talk all day on these things. <laughs> it's okay. Well, we get to talk for a while. So unconscious. This was really exciting to me when I looked at ability and the whole thing ties into this because one of the other people who's inspired me recently is Cy Wakeman in her book, No Ego. And it's all about eliminating drama in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And one of her characteristics, and I read this book and I had book and author envy because I wish I'd written it. And it's called Reality-Based Rules of the Workplace. And she has a way of looking at team members and it's written for team members. If you take a look at, you know, performance review, Mm -hmm. standard performance review, how have you been doing? And then you get rewarded on that. Well, she's like, that's actually only a very small portion (laughs) of what you need to pay attention. It's important. Mm -hmm. So you've got your current performance, but then she looks at something called business readiness. You're set up for future performance. And how are you educating yourself outside of what work is providing? How are you being proactive in terms of growing yourself as a human being, as a contributor? Mm -hmm. And then, so you add those two together and it's out of a scale of five. You can score yourself pretty highly on that. At least I did. (laughs) I work on those things intentionally. But then you have to subtract what she calls the drama factor, Mm -hmm. you know, your emotional expensiveness, which is kind of your resistance to change. 
And that has a multiplier of three. <laughs> so Interesting. It's actually really yeah. hard to get a high score. And so I was like, oh, so much for my high score. And I try not to be a drama queen, but we all have moments, at least I do. So it was really interesting because it so correlates. You know, this ties so well into that. And I noticed that people who've been really successful in the past in their role, but they've gotten static. You know, they haven't expanded. They have not paid enough attention to the changing context that they're in. And then they end up failing. And it's kind of a blow. It's like it took them by surprise. And it's hard to see that, actually. It's like, oh, oh, dear. Everyone else saw it coming, but you didn't. And so I think what you're getting at here is so, so, so important. And as you articulated at the beginning, the pace of change is faster. The feedback loop is yeah. pretty rapid right now. So if we're conscious of this, we can be effective. And if we're not, it could easily take people out. I just appreciate that it fits into a lot of what I'm learning and excited about. And you've just drilled down on the key aspects. And we've only talked about one so far. Yeah. If I can just really quickly on there, I think what's interesting in assessments and when we came into this crowded space of noise and information, and the majority of it is in talent management. Mm. So it's, are we identifying the right people to hire? When we hire them, are they in the right seat? Mm -hmm. And then if they're in that seat and they need to go to another seat, how do we identify their learning and development to progress? Mm -hmm. And in that context, that's got so much information where we're kind of thinking our position is more instead of talent management, it's in change management. Mm -hmm. So the difference of how analytics can be used in change management of pulling in what's relevant from the people context is that assessments, their value have been traditionally, what happened? Who am I? What makes me up? then a little bit they'll stretch to, well, why did that happen? So it goes from the state of the employee and the information on them to sort of that insight on why an employee might change, i.e. why did that happen through performance reviews that you've just talked about. Mm -hmm. What I think is really important now, what we want to leverage with some of the AI and what it's very good for in machine learning is start to predict what will happen when. Mm -hmm. So that foresight of adaptability. So if we can take these components and say, if you do this intervention, the likelihood is that this will happen and we can predict that and then optimize it to make, we now know how to make this happen, i.e., speed up our innovation mm -hmm. or go from failing restructurings and change management programs to something like 73% of change initiatives fail. So if we can understand the factors that will influence that, that's going to be really valuable for companies because we need to move quicker to success mm -hmm. than before. I think that's interesting. And I've got one other bit about team because you'll love this. Some of our research and scientists people were quite surprised when as we said, we're in the early stages of beta. We've got about 50 companies going through this first phase. And they've run some initial multivariant regressions on predicting how people thrive at work. And interestingly, we kind of thought, well, maybe is it the personality parts or maybe the manager that would be most important that would be influencers to that? And what we've started to see is it's much more the view of the team that's had the greatest influence on how excited someone was or their outcomes of their stress levels, of their emotional impact, and at what degree, in essence, problems could be openly discussed and disagreed with each other affected the performance. Mm -hmm. So that was a really interesting indicator of adaptability is that how well are you at disagreeing with people? 
can you cope with that? Interesting. So yeah, some interesting bits. And I love that because you're, what you said just completely correlates with my experience about how people are focused on, you know, talent management and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And learning that it's actually the team's kind of, I want to call it almost attitude, but their ability to handle certain types of conversations and actually yep. surface that conflict that's going to be there anyway. If you just shove it down, it comes out the size, is what I've discovered. The fact that you can measure that, and then also in one of the other background things I was learning about in preparation for our conversation, you can actually shape your messaging. Yeah. You know, and one of the points, and I we'll get to the rest of the ACE. Don't mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone, don't worry. But one of the things I found really interesting is how to communicate with people. You know, a lot of communication with change management is, oh my gosh, look at this amazing advantage we're going to get in the marketplace, or all this new stuff, and it's all about maximizing the upside. Well, some people are oriented that way, but some of them actually want to prevent loss. Yeah. And if you actually position the change as being, this is how we can keep our jobs. This is how we can make sure that we're actually still in business in 10 or 15 years. That message actually lands with, a in this example that you showed in the video, with 49% of the people. Mm-hmm. That's actually where they were focused, not on new, better, different, which is, you know, how initiating Colby Quick Starts <laughs> tend to look at things like, oh gosh, how exciting. You know, a lot of people were actually like, how to prevent danger, you know, which I found really interesting. But if you're not clued into that, if you don't know the AQ of your team or what their mindset or attitude or capability is, or their character, then you don't actually have an effective way to communicate them, which is undoubtedly why 73% of the initiatives fail. Yeah. Right? So there's just some deep wisdom in here. And it's not a huge change. The change management is still going to happen. Is it going to work, though? It's how do we position it? And I think that, yes. you know, my background of 20 years in marketing and branding and how you create a message to affect a behavior, I think it's really important because you want the outcome. Mm-hmm. However, the message comes across, that's about the audience. And a lot of it is led from the project initiators. So if we take entrepreneurs, that generally in that context that you were talking about, when we play a game, do we play to win or we play not to lose? Mm-hmm. And there's a subtle difference between those two mindsets. And some of our early indications are that entrepreneurs are much more happy with the risks of losing. So therefore, all they're doing is playing to win mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. They're not in defensive mode of playing not to lose. Right. When you shift to then assessing teams inside those organizations, much more of them are made up by the playing not to lose. I don't want to lose my job. I've got my family. I've got all these commitments. I've got all of these things that I've built around me. So that's more of what my motivation type is. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, the outcome we want is still the same, but the way you message that is really important. So this change is about your security so that we're not going to go belly up, mm-hmm, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to this change, because we've got all of this growth right. that is exciting, maybe for the leadership team or the owner. So I think those subtle things, the insights that we can give within these dashboards for organizations, and the difference between just information and insights, it's actually actionable stuff mm-hmm. that can change the way that you do things to perform better. Mm-hmm. And perform better can just be a happier place, you know, less friction, doesn't necessarily have to, although Nothing exists inside our assessment or our pieces unless it quantifies against a corporate outcome. So whether that is improving the EBITDA or the sales revenue or these sorts of things, we've made sure that they correlate. That was one of the prerequisites is if we're assessing this in the work context, it has to correlate to some business outcome. So 
that's really important for us. And the team has been really great in that, the balance between people who've led VP roles of chief of people in Fortune 500 companies are side by side with our research people in academics to say, okay, so what? <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the psychologists say this, well, so what? Yeah. And if we can't answer that, then we find a way to answer it or it's not included. I love that. You know, I'm so results-based and I mean, I find lots of things interesting, but not everything is interesting and practical. And I'm, if it's not practical, I'm not talking about it. So I might find it interesting for me, but I'm certainly not going to share it. So this sure. to me, the fact that it is so results-based and this ties to making your company better and more successful and mm-hmm. yourself better and more successful. So it's like a such a winning aspect of ourselves that you now all of a sudden you've given incredible language and knowledge and tools to help grow, which I think is brilliant. Okay, so we've talked about ability, which just to recap, if anyone's taking notes, is resilience, flexibility, learning drive, which is cool, and mindset. Now, let's talk about character a little bit, because that's something that is people think they know about themselves or, you know, probably measured by some other stuff too, I don't know. But personality, motivation, proactivity, which you've talked a little bit about, and grit. So let's talk about the importance of character for being adaptable. Yeah, so I think... The character one is a a little bit more interesting for us in the context of if we see ability as how and to what degree we adapt, we see character as who adapts and why. Mm. So within that, and, you know, personality for a long, long time, we've considered as a fixed object, pretty much. There is new research and new pieces to show that that isn't necessarily true and that we can influence and change our personality. I know that my personality has some degree of flexibility. You know, I like to think of these things as a story and analogy. If we have a, a young plant and it's rooted in the ground and there's a wind, when it's young, the stem's pretty flexible. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get up and change and go into a different field, but it can move around within its little area and flap and when we're young, our personality is forming, mm-hmm. right? We're growing. And perhaps as we get older and with that tree, it takes more for that wind to change it, but it's generally more fixed. So I think our personality really, and to a certain extent, how we measure motivation. One of our advisors uh, built an assessment tool called Motivational Maps. It's in about 14 different languages. They have hundreds of different certified practitioners in it, mm-hmm. like many of these. So he's been influential in helping us understand to a thin slice Mm -hmm. what parts of motivation Mm -hmm. apply. So we've built, rather than our own personality profile, we use existing ones built into it. You know, we don't need to reinvent the wheels for these things. And similarly with motivation, we might be more motivated or less depending on the context of it. So remember, this is who adapts and why. Mm -hmm. So this is linked to, to a certain extent, like we said before, the messaging. Right. So if we can connect into why somebody might adapt by understanding their character, we can then look at the interventions being relevant to them. Right. And as much as possible, we want to get to an individualized, personalized basis. So then when we shift from we now know this and we want to train and coach that, I want it on my terms, in my way. So am I video-based? Am I didactic? Am I this? Do I want play to lose or play to win? Is my personality like this? Am I proactive that I look for new things or I need it fed to me? So all of these things can now influence 
how it shows up for you in the improvement rather than here you are, here's a Udemy course. And it's the same for everybody. No, we want one for you, Shan. We want one for the next person, the next person. So it's personalized. Um, do you want me to cover just a little bit of some of the grit? Sure. Well, and one other thought I have is that is you're not trying to make everyone the same. No. It's not like there's one adaptive personality and you must be this, which I think is one fear that some people might have. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's okay. Well, here's how you're put together, at least whatever flexible version of that you have, and help you see how you can be more adaptable with some of these characteristics that you have. So I think that's pretty, pretty interesting that you're not looking at, because I'm looking at some of my dimensions. So my proactivity is, and I've sent you shots of mine too, Mm -hmm. is kind of up there. Motivation is, I don't know, you can explain that one to me, a little bit more on the outgoing rather than quiet scale, kind of in between spontaneous and organized, which I thought was a big compliment to call me organized. Thank you. And kind of in the middle with practical and imaginative. So those are kind of neat ways of looking at a person. Mm-hmm. And I love that we'll get a personalized take on, you know, yep. here's how to be more adaptable with what you have. This is slightly the sort of balance between right at the beginning, you mentioned the difference between a score and a profile. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things in a profile context that we just need to know who and why, so that we can address that rather than we're out to try and change somebody. Mm -hmm. So if we understand that, we can then know in certain contexts, it's not important to adapt. Right. (laughs) You know, if we constantly adapt to things, then maybe we'll never really create anything new. You know, somebody who isn't adapting to the way the world is, creates new. You know, it's the George Bernard Shaw quote, isn't it? You know, the all change comes from the unreasonable man or to the similar part. So what's interesting is we need this to understand which ones might be multipliers or the way in which certain characteristics might be right for certain roles. Mm. You know, we try in a lot of these things, you know, I've run so many innovation workshops and a big drive is about diversity. And we have different problem-solving styles and different creativity styles. So some take it in a Colby context. If we're trying to get a low-quadranted quick start to come up with ideas who was equally high in research and give them no information, there's going to be a lot of friction and difficulty Mm -hmm. there. So if we know that, we won't necessarily put them into that situation and place. The same may be true in terms of you know, we're in a compliance and we're in a quality control environment and therefore we don't want you to play around with new things. Mm -hmm. It has to go through certain rigors. So what kind of personality traits and character traits and the proactivity within that help us understand why certain characters are important in different roles and different parts of an organization Mm. of those things? Because some might form then others might need to do the storming and the norming phases of these things. Right. So I think that's important to consider. Very cool. All right. So let's talk about grit. Mm -hmm. So grit is that ability to kind of persevere is part of how I think about it. How are you looking at it in the ADAPT AQ? Yeah, I think grit is, you know, in that context, the capacity to sustain effort in the long term and also in times of adversity. So you might be able to sustain something for a long period of time, if it's easy sailing, mm-hmm. you know, we can go sailing on a nice mill pond for days and days, weeks and weeks. But then if it gets choppy, do we turn around? 
So is it the length of time or is it the circumstances in which that time of our experience is taking place? So it explains to a certain extent why some people will be more likely to benefit from a longer term adapting or shorter term Mm. adapting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a great book by Seth Godin called The Dip. Right. And it's talking about the difference that can we recognize what is a cul-de-sac? Therefore, we need to turn back. Mm -hmm. And what is a dip? Therefore, we need to get through it, knowing that there's a light and tunnel opens up at the other side. Mm -hmm. So too much grit can be a disadvantage in circumstances, but it can be an incredible asset. And that's by knowing whether it's a cul-de-sac or a dip, right? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, cool. And then the last one is environment. And I found this one pretty fascinating. And we were talking before we started about, you know, you've got your team environment, your company environment, sometimes you've got your family environment. And the the people that you spend time with actually can Mm -hmm. have a major impact on your Adaptability quotient, which I find fascinating. So walk us through that a little bit so we can kind of get a handle. Take you through a little bit of that. And the other thing, what's important is, you know, we've got this model of ACE. We've got these 12 different dimensions Mm -hmm. and we give this score and profile. So some of the questions that we're going through, and for us, we wanted less of a, here's a questionnaire where our aim is a conversation. Mm. So, you know, we've all had so many questionnaires and surveys and almost this assessment fatigue. So ours is actually built in a chatbot, as you know. Our desire is to get it as close to a conversation as possible so that we're building at the moment the machine learning data to get to a point where we can just have a conversation to address this Mm -hmm. rather than just questions. So we'll get there. But in context of environments, we've kind of got four areas here that is emotional health, community, our workspace, and perceived change. Whilst we're getting data from individuals, some of the factors across all 12 aren't then shown up in your score and your profile, which is a really important thing to understand. It's given information to your organization or your team that's Mm -hmm. aggregated. So there's a Chinese wall. Unless you as an individual taking that information want to share it with your boss or your company, we don't share it. Mm -hmm. We then create an aggregated dashboard for the company to then see what's the state of that team set. So some of these environment parts are really critical to that. So this is when does someone adapt and to what degree? Mm -hmm. So we might adapt when we're told because it's a compliance, i.e. we have to adapt to doing that. You did that before. I like to tell the story about the fact I've got two dogs and I dote on them. We love them to bits and, you know, we'll give them naughty little treats sometimes when we've, you know, not finished our plate and we'll go, here you are, Teddy, here's a little bit of treat afterwards. Of course, now the environment when we want him to change is when we've got guests, right? You know, we've got some family members or some friends around for dinner and we don't want them eating from the plate or the table next to us. So that environment, they can't distinguish the difference. Mm -hmm. We might be able to distinguish the difference between when we adapt or don't, our behaviors. And so we might perceive a need to change where the dog can't. Don't eat from the plate when friends are around. Mm -hmm. You know, don't experiment when this person's not around. Or we expect you to change. If you don't, you're going to lose your job. Mm-hmm. So when someone adapts is so contextual to their environment. So that perceived change is really, is that change really required? Mm-hmm. 
you know, what's the game, <laughs> you know, play yeah. to win or the, <laughs> you know, fear of failure of play not to lose. And is that platform burning enough? Often some of us need it to be absolutely on fire before we change. Others go, hmm, it's getting warm here. I'm going to change right. what's going on. So that's a really important factor to know. If you're the owner of an organization and you see the need, because you are more out there in the world, but mm. your entire team sees no perceived need to change, that's a disconnect. Right. And so where does that burning platform come from? Is it you or by getting them out and go and experience how warm it is out there? Good point. <laughs> of those things. So that's one aspect. Can we talk through my results for a moment? Because I just think it's kind of interesting sure. if you've got mine handy. Mm. So my community was like almost to the right-hand side of this little yeah. horizontal bar graph. So that, and I have a brilliant community around me, of team members and clients and could not imagine working with a better group of people. Now, my perceived need to change was very on the low side. It was on the left. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about that. And I'm someone, yeah. party because... Here is my thinking about it, and I'm not sure if I quite answered it the way I was supposed to. I'm the one often initiating the change, or I don't experience many other people telling me to change, although probably sometimes I'm sure they wish I would. So if you look at somebody like me, and you know me a little bit, yep. so talk to me about that, how you know enough about me to kind of help make this relevant. So Relevant. I'll talk about those two things of your result of perceived change and also community and why that's in there and why that's important. So what we've been seeing in the early data about perceived need to change, it's the information behind that number or the result or the profile. My observation of you and your organization, it's in a very good place. Mm -hmm. It's growing, it's strong, it's doing things that are giving it the results it wants. You know, the team members are not losing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're not seeing indications of failure of adaption. Right. Uh, that you're losing talent, you find it difficult to attract talent. You're losing clients, finding it difficult to attract clients. All of these things don't exist in your context. So therefore, in your work environment, a perceived need to change is less because you're getting the results that actually are seen as good results. Okay, thank you. Right? So I think the context is important. Now, this is why it's also important to do this regularly. Yes. Because at what point does that change? And the perceived need to change might be because of the curiosity in the organization only sees its own echo chamber. And it doesn't realize that in another continent or another world, there's a tsunami coming. We're happy on our beach. Lovely, isn't it? Nice and warm here. We've got all our friends around us. And this happens to come along. So I think what's important to understand is, does the perceived need to change in that internal team match up with the industry? on what's going on in that wider context of the environment. So mm -hmm. oneself, one's team, one's company, one's industry, and humanity as a whole. So those are factors that are important to understand in the expected requirement of change. And there's the burning platform that you're just a little bit isolated on an island, yeah. or actually you're in the right place, you're well-informed, you've got information coming in, and you're in a good place. You've been well-prepared, and you can adapt should platform come. So hopefully that was helpful in yes, that context. Of that which one. is perfect. So a follow-up question to that in this gradual then suddenly that you talked about. <laughs> yeah. So if someone has a low perceived need to change, mm -hmm. but then the person working, you know, the entrepreneur, the owner, the team leader sees a high need for change, 
that then becomes a basis for the conversation, correct? 100%. Yeah, it's like, okay, you're yeah. not seeing any need to change, but actually here's the bigger picture. So that's kind of yeah. what this results yeah. allow for. You're like, oh, by the way, you may not have an accurate read on that. <laughs> you use the word perceived, which I think is really critical because it is perception, yep. always subjective. And so but getting more feedback, as you said, the burning platform, <laughs> it's really important for this one. It is. And then you can also use this information to frame it. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to take somebody along on this journey? Are you going to take them along through compliance or through desire? Mm-hmm. So can you connect into their motivation style? Can you connect into the way in which their learning drive is triggered? Can you connect into all of these things so that you can do it in a way that's frictionless? Right. That's a happy place, you know, because we can all adapt kicking and screaming or we can adapt in a place where we're all happy and roses, you know. So I think that's important. And I just want to touch on the community aspect. For our definition, you know, when does somebody adapt and to what degree? And we've heard of the statement, you know, we're the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And it stems from the belief that our community, what do they value? Do they care about our well-being? Can they guide us through a change? You know, does our leader have our back? Mm-hmm. You know, the people next to us have our back. And can I be untethered from judgment, you know, in terms of I can truly disagree and that not be seen as antagonistic mm-hmm. in those things? So what is the community environment for me that is pushing me to stay the same way I've always been or guide me through that? change or challenge. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see this a lot. You know, if we've got customer services divisions manned by people on the phones all of the time, you know, there's so many things that are prime for technological change. And people in that environment are going to need support. Mm -hmm. You know, what is our obligation as leaders in how we do that? Oh, you're no longer useful to us anymore. So we get rid and then we rehire. That's hugely expensive in every front. Our research shows that, you know, the difference in saving between getting rid of and rehiring versus if we can identify and help and reskill somebody is about a 4,000 euro per head saving. So when you see these shifts of organizations, you know, big banks are getting rid of 18,000 stuff, it's because they're no longer required because either they haven't adapted as the individuals to be valuable for the organization's future, or the organization hasn't adapted for the marketplace's future. Mm-hmm. So how could we see that insight earlier, reskill them to apply the value that the organization needs in mm-hmm. that symbiotic relationship to create future value? So that community is so, so important to get involved early to guide through those changes and support mechanisms and systems. The other thing just I want to touch on really, really quickly is about infectiousness and sort of this influence on each other. That part of some of my own personal predictions of adaptability is that it's contagious. Mm. So we are given a bit like the four C's, right? You know, you make a commitment, you need the courage to get through it, you get your capability and then you get your confidence. Mm -hmm. So what if you were around somebody else who was doing those things and you saw that happen? Would you then think that that's more possible? Would you equally make a commitment to doing something that required your own adaption because you saw somebody else's results? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you can build on others. So you have this wake 
effect. So what we're starting to look at is, is there a multiplier in a team if over a certain tipping point, they've got certain attributes of their AQ? Would that then influence the team's AQ because of the sum of the parts? Mm. So that's an exciting area that we want to research a bit more. I had this comment yesterday when I was in my workshops. It's like one toxic, actually it was on a team meeting, one toxic person can influence a whole team, which is very true, and which in this context would be non-adapting. And then I think often a positive person can actually have a big influence. So it's almost the weight of that mindset, I think, is really, really key. But it is infectious, and I think that's probably why my community score <laughs> was so high, because Absolutely. it's yeah. very supportive, which is now I need to go and check my perceived need for change and make sure I'm accurate with that as <laughs> my personal coaching. Yeah, that's the point is because now you've got that, you can do something with that. Yeah. You can say, am I right here? Can I just get a sanity check on this? Do, am I seeing mm-hmm. something differently to everybody else? Right. Does my team see it all the same mm-hmm. or does the industry see it all the same? So that's where benchmarking comes in and importance. So if everybody else in a similar industry sees the perceived need to change very differently in that benchmark report, and you see you in a different place, that's your sanity check. Right. This is one thing I really love about this scoring is you get your own score, but then you also get to benchmark it against the other people in your company. (laughs) And then who knows, maybe at some point you'll do company to company comparisons. That would be kind of interesting. And so I think it's both the micro and the macro perspective on this, again, for business results. You know, it's all about for improved business outcomes, which I think... I don't know about you, but I'm like very excited by that. So I think that's very, very powerful. All right, a few more points to make before we wrap up. Probably we should wrap it up in about five minutes, I think. Would be great. Okay, thank you. So one of the last parts, just to mention, that's part of the result that you get back is what's working well, which is mindset. And this Mm -hmm. a little bit reminds me of Carol Dweck's book on mindset, fixed versus growth Mm -hmm. mindset, which is like very much encouraging you to have a growth one. So that was working well. But then there's also needs focus. So you give some coaching points about what parts, you know, pat in the back, and then also what you might want to work on, which I find very, very helpful. So just get into a little bit more of the business stuff. And again, there's just a whole, as you've been mentioning, a whole way for managers and leaders and owners to look at the aggregate of your team and get some deep insight Mm -hmm. into how to communicate the change, how your distribution of employees by their scores are. So there's even a much deeper dive with some additional dimensions to it. That's a whole part two, which we haven't spent as much time on. But it's fascinating. So as a leader, I think getting your hands on these dials is really exciting. And the one part I would like to talk about a little bit is you actually break out, and I think it's for companies who have done more than 50 is kind of your spot Mm -hmm. for that. And just looking at a particular example. So the number of developing peers, solid peers, high performance peers, and change leaders. And I just find that really interesting. So if I had no change leaders, I might be a little concerned, especially if I had a perceived need to change. Who are my high performance ones? And you can measure that. Who's solid? Who could probably move up a little bit? Who's developing? You don't have who's failing, which is probably a good idea. But you can see based on their scores where people are falling, which is pretty interesting. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. And I think the context, you know, having a score, who do we want to improve it for? Um, because of peer leveling or our own leveling up. You know, Nike did a really awesome little track 
example, and it was an LED version of yourself that you were competing with rather than the person next to you. So you were running around a running track and it gave you all the information. And just to the right of you, it was a night thing. Going around on these LEDs was you just slightly in front of you. So for me, what's important in benchmarking is that, yes, from the context of a team, when we've got 50, we've got more data, Mm -hmm. we can split it up, be a bit more meaningful. Is there certain countries or certain teams that have higher optimism levels, are more overworked, or, you know, as you talked about, it could drive change, but then who needs support? And if we don't know who might need support for any given initiative, we're just Mm -hmm. blanketly mass communicating. And we're mass communicating in a method and message and way in which those creating the message have decided, not necessarily the person in how they Mm -hmm. want to receive it. What we want is the behavioral shift and change, but we generally approach it with a one fit as best we can. Mm -hmm. But if we can get that insight to know what triggers somebody into that shift, we've been starting to look at the reskill index and a change readiness So these are more predictive AI analytics that is made up from an aggregated view of different components and then of a team. So you can then start to influence maybe back to hiring people. So if you see a burning platform, but your current team isn't Mm. bringing them in, but knowing that that's going to put, you know, a cat amongst the pigeons and that the people that are currently there, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. How do you find the internal little champions to build the wake of change within there? So we then talk about improving it. That's really another free zone frontier, you know, of improving adaptability. And what we're going to be is curators of content, not creators. There's going to be such a blossoming wealth of everything we could imagine that's going to affect our ability to adapt from our heart rate and sleep information through to our genome and microbiome to all of these things that will start to get combined sensors along with ours that can say, today's a good day to work on improving your resilience because mm. this has happened. <laughs> your tank's ready right? or your community's now ready to do these sorts of things. But right now, today, what we can do is take those few little insights that we've got and we're building on it but also know what's the context of what you're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. as a company. What is it that's the challenge you're facing Mm -hmm. that you're trying to solve? And that's the most important thing rather than just this is a cool bit of tool with some analysis and you're not really sure what you're trying to do with it. Understanding, ah, we're doing these acquisitions and they're not working as smoothly. Right. So how do we identify the right people in there that can champion that assimilation, Mm -hmm. as it were, and the ones that might find it more struggling to adapt to the different processes and give the right interventions for them? Or like I said beforehand, you know, if we want to drive more innovation, new products, new services, new value creation, who in the organization might be more applicable to apply to those things? Which teams, which departments? So that frontier of, at the moment, we're very, very thin sliced on, you know, how to improve some of these things because we're focused on measuring it. But that's going to open up over the years to come. And hey, this is a 25-year journey, (laughs) minimum. (laughs) Yes. You know, to really drill down on making sure that we do adapt as a race and that we don't leave people behind and that we can support them through whatever shift and change is coming. Mm. So instead of it being contextual to a certain issue, we give them this muscle and this view to then whatever comes, 
you can be ready. Mm -hmm. And when you build up your capability that way, it's this future is exciting. It's not scary. Yes. You know, it's not it's like, not oh, I'm, I'm put out to pasture or I'm, I'm obsolete. You know, the, that's measured by the people who, who've taken themselves out of the workforce, which is a really interesting, you know, national stat sometimes. You're like, oh, they just gave mm -hmm. up, which is kind of sad, unless that was by choice. But it's interesting. And so this has some really big implications. But also, I just see yeah. it, you know, I have close friends who built up a four-store bakery little mini chain, and they just sold, which was the goal. And the merger has been incredibly challenging, and they're working harder than they ever have rather than having the freedom that they were looking for. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I really wish they'd had this. <laughs> You know, that would yeah. have helped on both sides. I mean, it applies at a, again, macro and micro level. So how can people learn more? How can they get in touch with you? How can they do, you know, how can they do Adapt AI? How can they figure out their AQ? Right. What the practical implications here? I'll wrap off with that. But I did make you a promise right at the beginning to give you an indication of where you fell yes. within your, your score. So although we have 12 dimensions, currently our assessment is actually out of 900. Okay. We don't publish that. We don't talk about that yet. And we are still in the curating data to validate where the norms are of these things. So I think your score was in the 700s. Yep. To give it context, we've had around about 200 up to around 800. And these are across organizations like IBM, GlaxoSmithKline, different United Nations agencies, strategic coach are going through it. We have the faculty at Singularity University going through it. In fact, We've got them wearing headsets to monitor their cognitive load, their anxiety, motivation, all of these things whilst doing the assessment. So we're getting more information on that. So we're doing cool stuff. So how can you get involved? As you mentioned, the company's called AdaptAI. That's adaptai.co. So you can get more information there. You can also apply for some of our beta two slots. So we'll be working with organizations. We've got about 50 at the moment that we've been doing beta one with. We'll have around about 50, maybe 75 other slots for beta two. So go ahead, apply in there if you think this would be valuable for you and you've got a real challenge you want to solve. But we're wanting to work with clients and people in that beta program that want to help us mm -hmm. make it better. That's the collaborative approach that we're looking for with them. And the other kind of couple of ways is writing lots more articles about adaptability on Medium. Mm. So check me out on Medium for some of those articles and insights on adaptability, on AQ. As I said, it's such a frontier that there's not even a wiki page for it. So we're just creating the first wiki page for adaptability quotient. The other part is maybe you want to collaborate. Maybe you've got a, a unique capability as an organization, be that in research, be that in distribution or in coaching or in training in ways where you think we could do something cool together. Mm -hmm. We could make it even better than we could alone. Then drop me an email and that's ross adapti.co. And hopefully my first book on adaptability will be out early next year called Decoding AQ. Nice. So there's a few different ways that people can get involved and in touch. All right. I love it. So adaptai.co is one of the yep. best ways. Check out Ross Thornley on Medium. And by all means, sign up for the beta. Check yourself out. Be clear on what you want to accomplish and to collaborate. I think that's just phenomenal. And before we wrap, I have to know what your score is, Ross. What's your AQ? <laughs> it's so interesting. I have done the assessment countless times because, of course, when you're building a new piece of tech, 
you're doing it all the time, you're running tests, you're trying to break it and all sorts of things. So I've, I don't actually know what my true score is anymore because I've got to answer everything at this frame and see does that result in this kind of answer, do it in this frame of those sorts of things. I think my first time I did it in some of our early ones, I was in the high 600s. So uh, a little bit less than yourself there, Shannon. And, you know, it's, it's a multifaceted piece. You know, the thing to remember that's really important is it's not just about you. Mm-hmm. It's about our environment. It's about our community. It's about the people around us. It's about all sorts of aspects. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting. And like I think one of the advantages and challenges of Colby is, you know, the four numbers and people get wrapped up in, oh, 10 means good, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, one means bad. It doesn't. It's not mm-hmm. that way. So I think as we get further under the skin of the scoring and the components and how we can influence that, we'll define a good way of helping people. Because our point is we exist to make sure no one's left behind. Mm-hmm. So how we do that happens to be an assessment and coaching piece about adaptability. So I'm super excited to see what the next few years and decades bring. Oh, I love it. Ross, thank you, thank you, thank you. And just on that last point, you can be really strong in a couple areas and not as strong in others. So there's always room for improvement. That's how we like to think about it, Coach. So thank you. Thank you, first of all, for your work. I mean, for someone who is so engaged in being futuristic and, you know, you're seeing it not just from the what's possible, but also taking care of the fast changing world that we're in and all the people in it and helping make sure that they are in fact succeeding and successful and adapting. So I just really appreciate the heart that goes along with all of the incredible mental effort you put into making this happen. So thank you very much for this conversation. I've got a ton of insights, especially about perceived need to change. The whole thing, adaptability is infectious, that this is all about results. So I've taken a ton away, especially, you know, about perceived need to adapt. Adaptability is infectious. I think that's incredible. The whole thing about benchmarking and the fact this is all tied to results. So Ross, the work that you're doing, again, to both really help everyone enjoy going into the future rather than being overwhelmed by it, I think is profound. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't wait to be part of this journey with you. Coaches going along for the ride, which I think is very exciting and I know we'll get better as a result. So thank you for all your great work and wisdom and thanks for sharing it with us today. Wonderful. Thanks too for letting me have this wonderful conversation with you on the podcast. So I look forward to seeing you in a few weeks time. Okay, I love it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you got as much out of this conversation about adaptability as I did. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know at questionsastrategiccoach.com. And as always, here's to your team success. The Team Success Video Series is a brand new online learning platform to give your team the tools to thrive in an entrepreneurial business. Whether you have five team members or 500, Shannon Waller provides expert strategies for confidence, harmony, and success. You're just one click away at teamsuccessvideoseries.com. Mm-hmm.